Hello, hello. Welcome into another episode of Blueprint to Canton. I believe this is episode five. We're recording this a week early. Uh, I'm Nelly, uh, at a Nelly Ticks on Twitter. Also, I believe as Nelly in the Discord. It might be as M Nelly, but I'm there. Um, with me today is is Colin from C2C, at C2C Decker. Uh, very excited to have you on, Colin. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Um, we uh, never met before never really like talked in person before the expo but it was great meeting you there man yeah absolutely i've only i mean the only interaction was i guess listening to podcasts that you have done so it's it's <laughs> it's kind of a weird feeling yeah. but like also like on forth. twitter as well yeah. yeah um so it's it's cool to put faces to names and For sure. and personalities to names and just in chat so yeah uh that was definitely cool but yeah. all right cool so today um, I know last week, um, yesterday for me, but last week for you listeners, uh, we talked trades with Austin, uh, Colin's counterpart here. Um, but I wanted to talk, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but I also wanted to, to, uh, defer to you to see if you had any, uh, any specific kind of trade, uh, strategies that you like to employ since I know trading is, is very, uh, I would say it's, intimidating it's challenging in ctc because there's so much going on so if you have any uh any strategies that you like to employ to kind of make it easier for yourself i'd, I'd love to hear them yeah for sure and i mean i'm not sure exactly what you and austin talked about last week so if i'm rehashing some stuff definitely let me know but uh, i think the biggest thing for me with trading is i find that and like you said people get intimidated by it it's it's a new format and there's a lot of moving pieces so People in those types of situations tend to kind of clam up a little bit and they won't trade. They're very hesitant to trade. And I think one of the ways you can take advantage of that is to be the aggressor. Um, you know, you can be the first person to reach out. You can be the first person to decide, okay, it's, it's not working for me this year. I'm going to strip uh, strip down the college side for some parts and sell those off. Or on the NFL side, I'm going to strip those down for parts. I'm going to sell those off. So I like to be aggressive with trading i am one of the ones who is going to be the first one out there you can always send an offer to me um and i am not afraid to make a mistake because you will make mistakes with trading in c2c and you'll make mistakes in general in c2c it's just gonna happen but you'll make them with trades too and sometimes what looks like a mistake will end up actually working out for you. I have an example in one league. I traded uh, Aaron Rodgers. This was two years ago. Aaron Rodgers for uh, Sam Howell and Jalen McMillan. Um, and Jalen McMillan wasn't really doing much there. He was still one of my guys. Sam Howell like, we looked like he was going to be really good. And then he fell in the draft. And then Jalen McMillan had a big year last year too. So now if you pivot that, it looks pretty good. So sometimes a trade looks bad. It starts, it just fluctuates a lot. So don't be afraid to make a mistake and be uh, aggressive with, with, you know, reaching out to people and trying to make your team better. Cause this is one of the best ways to do it. Yeah. I think that's a great point. Um, just in the sense of something I like to reiterate all the time is we really don't know that much. And even if we know, and we're right, you, we still might be wrong. Right. Like, because yep. things might just happen. Um, Aaron Rodgers might just get hurt. 
Like yep. things, things happen. There are so many things that are out of our control. Um, so as long as you have a process and, and you're following your process, like long-term things probably will work out. Not everything will, but, right. but things probably will. Uh, let me ask you this. When you're trading, are you looking to do specifically like same platform stuff like NFL for NFL players, college players for college players? Do you like to get picks involved? Do you like doing the cross league trades? Like how do you like what's your go to framework there? So a lot of times it's easy it's easier and more difficult to do the trading on the same platform. It's easier in a sense because you can just fire off a trade. You don't even have to ask, you know, uh, you don't have to reach out to the person and, and say, Hey, I want to trade um, Alvin Kamara for, you know, a couple of college guys or something like that. It, when you're cross platform trading, you have to reach out because you can't really send it all in one. Uh, you can leave a comment, but that can get missed sometimes. So, in a way, it is easier to trade on the same platform. But at the same time, it's also more difficult because now you're trading pieces on the same side. And I find that the best way to get some of these trades done is this trade is going to help you on the NFL side where my team is bad. And this trade is going to help me on the college side where your team is bad. This is a mutually beneficial trade. So I find those are the easier trades to get done. It's a little more difficult when I'm competing on the NFL side and you're kind of competing on the NFL side or you're close. And now we're trying to swap pieces a little bit more. Um, it, it can get a little tough with that. It's kind of the same thing on the college side, although you can do supplemental picks to, to balance that out a little bit. But so I do like the cross platform tradings. I find that's where you can get a lot of deals done because like i said it can be very mutually beneficial beneficial for both sides the problem is that is also where people start to get uncomfortable is valuing college players versus nfl players and you know who should i get back for this am i gonna is this player gonna be an nfl asset for me at any point there's so many other factors that people that's where people start to get a little overwhelmed is with the cross platform yeah, and that is that's something we talked about uh, last week um, with Austin a little bit, just in terms of coming up with the standardized value that that can kind of be used as like almost the currency translator from college player to NFL player uh, using dynasty picks as kind of that that currency. Yeah, um, that's my go-to. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I will say, I think that. 90% of NFL player or NFL side for college side trades. I think the, the person receiving the NFL side wins the trade. Um, so um, it's, it's obviously not a blanket statement there, but like more often than not, we are overvaluing college players. Um, and, and one thing again that we talked about last week, but we, we didn't expound expound on too much is, College players have expiration dates. NFL players, we don't know the expiration dates. Um, so in that instance, like the the lack of an expiration date is just added value that kind of gets ignored. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, there's some players where you're pretty confident there's an expiration date. Like I think the best example of that this year is like Raheem Mostert, who's exploding on the NFL side, but he's like 31, he's injury prone. I, if he has any value after this year, that's a cherry on top. Um, whereas on the college side, yeah, like we're pretty sure that there's expiration dates on guys now with the eligibility 
out the window um, at times that can get a little bit more muddy, but for uh, essentially there is still the expiration date. But one thing that I think gets um, lost in that a little bit is that if I make a trade and I move a uh, aging asset on the call on the NFL side, who they have like one, maybe two years left, like a, like a Raheem Mostert, like a James Connor type of a guy. And I'm getting, guys on the college side who even if they only have one year left if i'm getting like an austin reed in a deal like that if i'm getting a um lejante wester in a deal like that somebody who's like a high-end college piece that is gonna help me win on that side i am okay with that i'm okay with taking a little bit of a value loss if it's going to help me win on one side or the other, because at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do. We want to win one side or the other. And I try to go into one side each year and I'm like, okay, I'm going to make a push on this side. I'm going to make a push on this side. Um, you know, however it starts to shape out typically around this time of year. And I want to win one of those sides. So that way, one kind of funds the rest of my leagues. Um, but two, it's also nice to be like, Hey, I, I won this league last year. So actually, I think that's that's an area where we differ uh, a, a decent amount in strategy. My kind of goal is to be competing on both sides at all times, and obviously that's easier said than done. Right. But when you have people like like you in our leagues, which is a lot of people, where they end up leaning, they they allocate all their resources to one side at the expense of the other. It really isn't. Instead of competing against eleven other teams, you're competing against like six to eight other teams. And so like making the playoffs when you have uh, a third of your league that is given up on one side um, becomes that much easier and, and making the playoffs. Uh, I, I think there's a lot more variance in NFL side playoffs than college side playoffs, but even still it, it's, it's uh, if you're in the playoffs, you have a shot, especially if you're in a bunch of leagues. Um, so I guess this kind of leads well into the main topic here, which is when is it time to tear it down and tank aside? Um, when does when when do you come to the decision of hey, this team, it's just not it. I, I have to I have to uh, I have to do something here. Uh, let's let's start NFL side. Like, at what point are you coming to that to that conclusion? Yeah, this is one of my favorite topics here so I, I love that this is what we're talking about this week and and the nfl side people are a little bit more from most people out there who are playing c2c are a little more familiar with that side they're able to gauge the values and gauge how good their team is on that side because they have more experience with nfl fantasy so um the nfl side i think is a little easier in that regard it's also a little bit longer of a season so you can kind of give it like five ish weeks um, typically by that time, I have a pretty good feel as to where my team's going to be at. Sometimes it could take you a sixth week if you're sitting at, um, you know, two and three, but you're the, the third highest scorer in the league because you've had some tough luck. Like sometimes I might push that out a week, but typically around week five or six on the NFL side is where I know, okay, this is kind of where I want to make a move and I want to sell off, uh, my aging assets. Now I don't want to sell off my aging stud assets like a Tyreek Hill, um, for example, you know, he talked about retiring in like two years, the end of his contract. We'll see how that ends up going, but I don't really want to sell him just to sell him. 
the guys I'm talking about are the Raheem Mostert's, the James Connors, um, the if Aaron Rodgers wasn't hurt, like that type of a guy. Um, a Tyler Lockett at the wide receiver position, a DeAndre Hopkins. Those are the older guys that I'm typically looking to move um, off of. Yeah, the back end starters, the non elite yeah. guys. Yep. Uh, and then are you trading them for younger NFL guys or are you trading them for college side? So that's typically where, like I said, if I am on the NFL side, I'm deciding to pack it in. Uh, usually at that point, I'm looking at my college side and I'm like, all right, where am I at on that side? If I'm as long as I'm still, you know, a top three, four team on that side, on the college side, um, I'll probably look to shift those players for uh, college producers. Um, maybe and, and then ideally you get a college producer that has some Debbie value, like a Malachi Corley is starting to get some buzz, um, like a Michael Pratt is starting to get a little bit of buzz. Those guys are guys that you're going to get the college production from. And maybe there's a little bit of a sliver of Debbie hope there somewhere underneath. So those are probably the first guys I look at if I'm moving NFL pieces. Like I ideally want some Debbie value, but if I can't be found, then I want those top tier um, guys like a Jaden Daniels. Like he's having a phenomenal year. I don't think he's got any NFL potential. Uh, I, I mean, who knows what the NFL and their traits and tools talks, but I don't see any NFL future for Jaden Daniels. So like, but he's been having a phenomenal year. He's putting up like 35, 40 points a week. So that is a guy that I'm okay getting back if I have to. So let me ask you this, right? So you, the first stage is done, right? You're kind of tearing down the NFL side. How do you then build it back up? That's the tough one. Um, because you're essentially the, the rookie drafts on the NFL side are, I don't want to say totally worthless because it does depend on the waiver settings of your leagues. You can get some guys in there like Damian Pierce last year was available. Um, you know, you can get some of those guys, but it's not something I like to rely on. So you're essentially using your college side as that pipeline up. So that's where I want to have a couple of guys in each class that I feel would be at least back end first round rookie picks, high end second round rookie picks. Um, and if I don't have those, then those will probably be the types of guys that I target um, in, in when trading an NFL side. Those would be the first guys that I go after. So instead of going after a Malachi Corley, who has a lot of CFF value, maybe a little bit of, of college production, um, maybe I go after a... and maybe this isn't the best example because he's having a phenomenal year, but a Troy Franklin, um, a guy who I think ultimately will end up a back end first round rookie pick, more likely probably a top end second round pick. Um, because obviously you want the Marvin Harrison juniors. You want the um, Nick Singletons. You want all those guys, but they're so difficult to get. So that next tier down, the odds of them hitting are a little lower, but it is better than, you know, your Jamari thrashes, your Malachi Corley's. So if I can, uh, and, and I'm worried about building up my NFL side, I'll pivot slightly towards the Debbie side rather than the CFF side, but I still want some value on both. Yeah. So I guess that prospect kind of scares me, right? Because you have this NFL side that you deem is not good enough 
right? Like, generally speaking, if your NFL side is not good enough, it's because there's a lack of value on that side. Points generally correlates with market value. And then you take some of that market value that's on the NFL side that's already maybe a little bit lo- below league average. You move for college value. If those guys that you get on the college side don't work out, which happens all mm-hmm. the time, all yeah. the time, then you take this NFL side that was already weak, you made it weaker, and now it's not strengthening back up. So I guess from my perspective, when I have my teams like you have to do something if your NFL mm-hmm. side is weak. There's not a great answer. It's really hard to rebuild an NFL side. It is. Um, so I guess, it, I guess, uh, adjacent strategy for my part is like I have. I try to avoid being in this situation as much as possible. Like in my startups for Campus to Ganton leagues, I'm pouring as many resources as I can into the NFL side. Um, and I, I want my NFL side to be strong, so I don't have to rebuild the NFL side because the NFL side is is difficult to rebuild, no matter how you shape it up. Even if you go out there and you get a ton of like first round campus side picks, like it's it's hard to hit on all those. And if you're yeah. going out there and you're getting the elite freshmen, like even if they hit, you're waiting five years until they become like like consistent NFL producers, and that's if they work out. So it's like. I guess the lesson here from from my perspective is like I like to avoid that NFL teardown. Like I I like to avoid having to be in the position to make the decision on an NFL teardown uh, as much as possible. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, if you can, you don't want to tear down the NFL side. It's much, much easier to tear down the college side and rebuild that back up in a single year because one there's so much uh, fluctuation in value and production from year to year. There's a ton of variance. And two, you're getting 15 picks uh, every year on the college side. So it's way, way easier to rebuild the college side to have a, uh, a continuous uh, competitor on that side. The NFL side, like you said, way more difficult. Um, I'll give another example. I, I took over an orphan a couple of years ago on a team. And the NFL side was bad. And I traded off the, it was like Calvin Ridley and Nick Chubb at that point were my best assets. And I traded them off for, uh, and this was when Calvin Ridley was still suspended. So I traded them off. I got back like Zach Evans, um, Kayshawn Boutte, Parker Washington, Rakeem Jarrett, Jaden Daniels, um, and like a first round supplemental pick. If you look at that, that does not look good right now. Now, the first round supplemental pick did end up being Marvin Harrison Jr. So that was there we go. thumbs up. But that's not going to happen all the time. So I traded off my, my NFL guys. I got a ton of these Debbie assets that looked great at the time, and they lost a ton of value. So you have that risk for sure. Um, I, in, in drafts, I tend to be a little more risk averse with trades. Like I said, I tend to be a little bit more aggressive. And if I'm, if I'm going to make those misses, I'm confident in my ability to try and make up for it later. Whereas I, I recognize maybe everybody doesn't have that same level of confidence. So I am not afraid to move for, for some Debbie assets there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk, let's talk the other side of the coin here. Let's talk college. Um, I guess when, when, because it's a shorter season, you mentioned that earlier, 
when is it time to tear it down on the college side? And then what does a college side tear down look like? Yeah, the college side, like you said, shorter season. It's a little bit more difficult. Uh, typically around like week four um, is where I'm looking to make that move, maybe even into week three. Um, my only caution with that is I do see some people who will panic a little bit early. Um, you know, they had a rough week one, they had a rough week two, uh, but their their players that they have on their rosters are matching guys. And those matching guys are notoriously slow starters because of those non-con schedules. But then once they get into matching, you can get some league winners. That's where you get guys like Alex Adams last year, who started very slow this year. You get guys like Sam Wigless and uh, Sia Bangura of last year. Again, starting off slow. Um, so I do try to assess that. Like, okay, is my team like really heavy G5? Like I was expecting it to start a little slow. But more often than not, by week three, four, you can figure out, okay, where am I at in the standings? Where are my points for looking like? And if I'm not in like top five, top six, that's probably where I'm starting to look to strip it down. And stripping it down. So, so what does that look like for you? Are you trading for uh, picks? Are you trading for younger CFF guys? Are you trading for projections uh to be future devi assets are you trading for future projections to be cff assets like what's your what's your goal there when you're stripping it down yeah so uh, first thing i look for is is if i can get any devi assets back um that's that's kind of where i'm starting to look because if i'm trading for picks like the first couple of rounds the most valuable picks they're always going to be towards the devi focused anyway so if i can get um a guy like a Eugene Wilson this year who has looked pretty good. He hit, hit that year one zero threshold, but people haven't maybe quite caught up to that value. Um, maybe that's a guy that I'm looking to to sell one of my CFF studs for. Um, but I also want to make sure I'm getting appropriate value on that CFF guy. So like I said, with Alex Adams, Bangura, um, these guys who have started a little bit slow, but are getting into Mac play. And I think they're going to explode. I'll give it another week to see if that can sell at a high for them. Cause right now you'll be selling at a low. So I'm still going to sell them, but maybe I wait a week on those guys. Whereas guys like Malachi Corley, if I have a Malachi Corley and my team's not good, I'm going to sell him now because everybody knows what he is. Everybody knows what um, he did last year. He's already started off hot this year. He had that injury, but sounds like he's going to be fine. Um, those guys I am looking to sell like right now. And that's when I'm trying to get some Debbie pieces back if I can. And my next move is picks. Um, I'm going to look to get as early of a pick as possible. Again, I tend to think of my supplemental drafts um, rounds one and two, always Debbie or freshman focused round three kind of depends on the flow of the draft and the, uh, you know, the player pool, I'm probably still looking at a Debbie asset there or a very high end CFF asset. And then like round four is where I'm making that pivot. Um, so you also have to, when you're trading for picks, keep in mind what type of player you're going to be looking for at that spot. And obviously again, earlier the picks you can get the better. Yeah. We're super aligned there. Um, I think something worth pointing out is it's really the exact opposite of the NFL where you would get, you get, no uh 
assets to rebuild unless you've mm -hmm. built them yourself in your pipeline. The college side, you get 15 picks every year. You can yep. create a whole starting lineup of CFF guys in the draft every year. So it's really easy. Like you could turn a team that's in the last in last place into a team in first place uh, from one year to the next. You can't do that on the NFL side. Right. And so you can kind of utilize the strategy that you're talking about um, of selling off the guys that you do have, even if you are weak. Like if you if you take 10 assets on your team, even five assets, and you sell each of them for two late supplemental picks the previous year, that gets you your original 15 picks plus another 10 picks, five or two from each of those five guys that you sell off. Um, now, maybe maybe 15 of the 25 picks are in the last five rounds. It doesn't really matter. We talked about a little bit on the last podcast. From the fifth round to the 15th round, there's really not that much difference. It's it's preference, but mathematically, the difference uh, in the players that you're getting really isn't that different. So you can build like two to three starting lineups there. And you're not going to hit on every player. Like CFF right. is also extremely hard to predict. But if you are 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 if you're picking 25 guys for your CFF lineup, you're going to hit on some of those guys, and all of a sudden you have a a team that can compete instantly. And so just like that, you reloaded, and it's not really at the expense of much. It's just once right. you recognize that this year is a gone year, you're just adding more resources to next year to build it up. And this has this has nothing to do with building your pipeline. You can do that separately. Still spend those first three-round picks on your freshmen, your Debbie assets. Sprinkle a couple of those guys in there. Use your waivers on those guys. You got you to gotta add to the, the pipeline like regardless. But you can completely rebuild the roster while still doing that. Um, so that's something that I think is super underutilized is the, the value of these picks. It's basically free good players. Like yep. – a 15th round supplemental pick is like is is incredibly cheap. Incredibly oh, yeah. cheap. Uh and that's super valuable especially in leagues with limited waivers which is just about every league. Um at the, the the value to add a player is super underrated no matter where you where or when you get to add that player. Just being able to add the player because the player pool is so massive and there's so much unknown that the player pool always has good players in it. Um so yeah, I guess strategically, like tearing down the college side can be super beneficial and you can load it up the, the, the next year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you said, you you can basically draft a whole new starting lineup the next year. And I, I'd actually be really interested to see like what the, the hit rate is per round in a supplemental draft. I'm not a numbers guy, so I that's not something that I could actually be able to figure out. Uh, but it would be really interesting to see what the difference in hit rate would be between like round five and round 15. Because like you said, I'm betting it's not that significant. So if I'm looking to tear down the college side and I'm trading off my picks and I and somebody's kind of balking at giving me like a, a third, um, I'll throw in a tenth, an eighth even maybe a seventh and ask for another pick back like a 15th 14th like all right if, if you're having a hard time with this how about i throw in a seventh and you throw in uh, a, a 12th you know because there's not that much difference between those two picks and that can get that job done sometimes and whereas the player you take in the 12th might be way better than the player that was taken in the seventh anyway so some i, I like to use those picks as um uh, and I'm putting air quotes here as like value equalizers because people see the numbers, people see that seventh, people see that 12th and they think that seventh is inherently 
X times more valuable than the 12th, where realistically it's not nearly as, as valuable. Yeah. 100%. I think after, I would say after like round four or five, the round of the pick doesn't really matter. It's just the number yeah. of picks that you have in those rounds. The number of picks yep. matters significantly more. Um, yep. And I guess going full circle here, right? Like you can do what we just described the reload on the college side without any value coming in from the NFL side. Like mm -hmm. you, you can do that solely on, on the college side, assuming that you have at least a little bit of value on the college side, which if you have 45 man rosters and you haven't just drafted random freshmen for your entire roster, you probably will have some. Um, and even if you don't, it just, it'll take a year or two to kind of load back up. Um, but the college side read build is, is, easier and i would also say it's more fun i mean it is going into a supplemental draft with 25 picks to basically rebuild your entire roster i mean that's sweet that's super enjoyable um so that's a that's a nice little non-quantitative bonus that you get out of that <laughs> yeah exactly and um you know like i said i you know when you're if you're trying to compete on the college side and your nfl side is decent like I'm again, I'm not advocating selling off any NFL piece to go get some college production because you can get that through trading picks like that will will be one of my first avenues to explore is, OK, can I offer a fifth round pick and get some guy who's going to help my NFL roster or my college roster? And if I can, that's always preferable. But if I can't and somebody's competing on the NFL side and they want some NFL pieces, that's where I'll start looking to move those back end starters. Let me ask you this, slight pivot here. Do you ever go after the early picks in the NFL supplemental? The NFL. Like, do you ever try and project <laughs> the NFL supplemental and get a guy like this past year, names like Roshan Johnson, a couple of the tight ends were available. Uh, in previous years, you would have gotten Trey Lance. You mentioned Damian Pierce. Like, usually the first Luke Schoonmaker was around in every one this year. Mm -hmm. Like, I would say the first, like, two picks – on average every year are guys who go in the first two rounds of normal rookie drafts. Um, is that ever something you're trying to attack or project ahead of time before that the guy on the NFL team real or NFL side realizes that he might have at least a little bit of value there because normally they're completely worthless. Yeah. Normally they're completely worthless. Like you said, and, and a lot of people do treat them that way. So while no, I don't actively like target first round, um, uh nfl rookie picks even if i look at the team and i'm like ah that team might be pretty bad like maybe i can get a damian pierce or roshan johnson in there i don't really ever actively target those but I, that's just another chip and another thing that you can keep in mind with the guy that you're trading where okay he has a really bad nfl side and now he wants some college pieces and i my i'm selling my college pieces off you might be able to sell a uh, Derwin Burgess for that first round pick. And Burgess is a guy, um, you know, who is going to help him on the college side. And maybe you turn that into a, a Roshan Johnson um, or somebody who's available. But I probably wouldn't do that too early in the season because I probably have a waiver pickup left. And if I'm tearing down my college side and I have waiver pickups left, those are the types of guys that I'm probably going to start to target guys that get a little bit of buzz in the NFL 
Um, I was listening. To, I heard you and, and Moxley talk um, on the episode two or three. I don't remember which one that one was, but he said that he went after um, Luke Musgrave. That's exactly the type of guy that I'd go after. So the uh, it's not something I'm doing too early because if I'm tearing down, I might be able to get that guy with a free waiver pickup that the college side, you know, picking up a um, Emmanuel Michelle, the running back for Air Force, that's not going to help me right now. I'll use that on um, somebody else instead. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I mean, the, the using the waiver claims for the Debbie guys late in the season is is super valuable. Um, yeah. I, did want, I want to go back to something that we were talking about earlier. Um, or it was actually in, in the question I asked about rebuilding on the college side. I asked what type of assets you like to trade for. One that you didn't mention that I brought up in the question was um, projected future CFF studs. And what I mean by that is the future starting quarterback at Western Kentucky. You know, the, the, the future starting quarterback at Georgia, Georgia Southern. Um, I guess I, I want to give my thoughts on this real quick. Like, yeah, I think that is the wrong type of asset to trade for. I agree. Because I mean, first of all, the transfer portal is a real thing now. So like it, it's that much harder pro- to project who the future stud will be. But then also like depth charts change, like guys who are high recruits don't win the job. Like uh, there's so many moving pieces. And even if these guys do win the job, like, you still don't know that they're going to be good. And and here's the thing, right? Like if you go and get the pick equivalent that you could have gotten for making the trade rather than the player, you then get another eight months that you get to wait to find out more information. And so like you can, with that pick equivalent, you can then go and draft the player with much less risk of, of it not working out. Right. So instead of trading for the Western Kentucky backup right now, go get like a, an eighth round pick, and go draft a, a, a known starting quarterback next offseason in the supplemental. Now, the upside might not be quite as high. It might not be quite as high, but there is so much less downside because you're getting so much more information by waiting, by holding these picks. It's kind of like, I, I mean, we've talked about it in the past. The picks don't get hit by the bus. A player could get hit by a bus. The picks don't <laughs> get hit by the bus. Austin and I talked about that a little bit last time. And that was referring to NFL picks. But it applies mm-hmm. to college picks too. Like the the picks hold value and uh, are are safe. Um, so I guess with with projections, both Devi assets and CFF assets, if you wait longer by holding on to the pick, it probably will benefit you in the long run. Yeah, I completely agree. That was it, it mirrored pretty much exactly my thoughts. I I'm not trading for projected future CFF value. I'm not going out there right now and trading for Easton Messer, the uh, I think redshirt freshman wide receiver at Western Kentucky, who has popped off a little bit uh, because I think he's going to step into that Malachi Corley role next year. I'm not trading for that type of a guy. Um, I because like you said, the transfer portal's a thing. Uh, other players emerge out of nowhere, so there's so much that can happen that trying to predict the future breakout guy is very difficult. Now there are select cases where I will trade for a guy who I think has uh, a lot of future CFF value, 
but they're very select cases. And one of those would be a guy like a Jalen Polk this year, who a already has some CFF value and can help out. And we've seen production from him. And then B he's been on that team for two years. He's the next guy up. He stepped up after McMillan. I feel fairly confident that he's going to have a significant role in that Washington offense next year because we've already seen it. So that's like a very specific example of where I could understand targeting future production. But like I said, a gotta already have some sort of production. I don't want some guy who is just, I'm just projecting this guy to step in next year and I've never seen it before. B, it has to be a great system, too. Um, and then, you know, C, I have to feel good about the team overall. So that's one example. There's not very many examples like that out there. Yeah, it's tough. More often than not, it's a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, and side note, Jalen Polk, like, might even end up in the draft this year. He's, he's a stud in his own right. He could, yeah. Um, but... All right, cool. So we covered a lot there. Is there any last thoughts on your end, Colin, of, of things that maybe came up but we, we weren't able to talk about or just any any strategy thoughts that are on your mind? Um, no, I think we covered a lot of great stuff. Like I said, this is one of my favorite things to talk about, honestly, because it's one of the areas that people have the most questions about is trading and you know what do I do with my team now that I am you know two and three? or two and two, like, where do I go from here? Um, the other thing yeah, I, I talked a little bit about, you know, kind of keeping in mind what you expected your team to do to start the season. If you're G5 heavy, if you have a lot of matching guys, be prepared to start a little bit slower and then ramp up down the stretch. Maybe wait an extra week before you start to strip it down. Uh, where if you have, if you don't have a lot of those guys and your team is bad now, then yeah you start to strip it down like we talked about. Um, so I, I do love the strategy aspect of figuring out what I want to do with my team from here. And the college side is just so much more fun to do that with. Cause like you said, you can, you can hit the reset button after this year. If you make some moves on the college side and it doesn't pan out, guess what? You can redraft a third of your team next year. So that, that goes back to what I was saying with don't be afraid to make some mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. Uh, you're going to miss on some guys. We can't know everything. There's so much variance in college that I'm just going to be aggressive with some trades. I'm going to send some offers out there. So uh, don't be afraid to make mistakes because you can hit that reset button on the college side a year later. Yeah, well said. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I love the Mac. The Mac sucks. Like objectively, the Mac is like the Mac is like mid FCS level talent wise. Like I, the the fact that the Mac is midweek is incredible. It's I yeah. love watching the Mac. The quality of football is so much lower. The guys yeah. who are studs from the Mac who have transferred up have all really disappointed. I mean, you think like yeah. Carson Steele, Colin Schley, Dante Cephas. That's just this past year. Lou, uh, yeah. well, I guess Lou Nichols didn't transfer, but Lou Nichols was right. a flash in the pan. Um, but. Can I actually field? Yeah, cannot. Ex great shout. Like it almost makes me question Tez Walker and how that would have worked out. Um, but we'll never know. Free Tez. Free yeah, Tez. free Tez for sure. Free Tez. <laughs> this is a very pro Tez Walker anti NCAA podcast. I want yes. that known. Um, but 
Um, yeah, no, but wait on your Mac guys because once the the, the only thing worse than Mac offense is Mac defenses. So yep. once that conference play hits and you get you get isolated games on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, getting to cheer on your guys, putting up forty points, it's great. Um, but you gotta be patient with them. But yeah. all right, thanks, Colin. Appreciate you coming on again. It's at C two C Decker. Although I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you know where to find Colin. Um, <laughs> As always, anyone listening, please, any any feedback or thoughts or questions, like always feel free to to hit me up, whether that's on Twitter, on Discord, really anywhere that that I am. Um, uh, always welcome. Um, want to interact with you guys as much as possible and kind of and kind of know what you guys want to know. So um, yeah, I'm gonna continue to encourage that and appreciate each and every one of you for listening. Have a good one.